Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Did you know that there are 4,300 religions in the world? Each one of them has their own set of beliefs, of course, and rules, and generally follow their own particular God or leader. Do you think it'd be possible to bring all these 4,300 religions together under one umbrella? Sounds pretty difficult to me, but it will happen according to the Bible. How will it happen? There's only one way, and that's through deception, through compromise. Jesus warned us about this kind of deception in Matthew 24, when he told us four times not to be misled. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 24, 24, he even said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus is even warning those believers that if they're not careful, they could be misled. We have already witnessed the beginning of these types of deceptions through false beliefs such as we all worship the same God or everyone's going to eventually get to heaven. Some people say the Bible is not completely accurate and many people say Jesus is not the only way to heaven. There's already tons of compromises going on in the Christian realm so we need to be careful that we're not misled and it's going to get worse as a false religious leader turns the world from the truth of the word of God to worship the God of this world. Today, we're going to look into the Bible to see this religious leader and what his focus is. I'm Debbie Blank. So glad you've joined us for this study today. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Revelation 13 opened with the description of a coming satanic one world government. And we can see global leaders today working toward a one world government. As we continue in chapter 13, we will see a description of a coming satanic one-world religion. Can we see any of those signs today? The Parliament of World Religions recently held its eighth international gathering calling for cooperation if humanity is going to save itself. They affirmed, quote, the oneness of our Creator, regardless of names or description, and the oneness of every different religious and spiritual path. Three years ago, Pope Francis and the leading imam of Sunni Islam signed a historic interfaith covenant witnessed by Christian, Jewish, and other religious leaders. It emphasized global peace and love while boldly declaring, quote, the diversity of religions were all approved of and willed by God. Could a one-world religion and a global religious leader emerge from a world under the spell of globalism and spiritual deception? Jackie, when you said that about humanity saving itself— I thought that's just typical of us this day. We have taken God out of the picture and we've put ourselves in his place. So we're trying to do God's job. That's why we have evolution, because we've tried to figure out a way that we can exist without God. And now religious groups and leaders are trying to explain away everything about God so that they can make decisions on their own. How sad is that? But that is the direction we're going and the way of the future. As we discussed last week, 
about the one world leader, the Antichrist, he is going to cause people to worship himself and Satan because he's going to be empowered completely by Satan. He's going to have the authority of Satan. And we know from 1 John 5, 19, that Satan is the ruler of this world at this point until Jesus Christ returns. So we shouldn't be surprised that God's going to be taken out of everything. And yet while he is, there's this new thought process of a global religion where we just all get along. We all are willing to compromise our beliefs so that we can be one unit supporting the one world government and the one world leader. And of course, we can't do that unless we're all in alignment. So there's a push right now towards this ecumenicalism, and it's only going to get worse. Today, we're going to see that false prophet, as he's called in Revelation 19. Here in Revelation 13, he's called the second beast, who has great power in manipulating people towards a worshipful system that is really their own spiritual desires that turn out to be worshiping Satan. When you talked about the kind of religion where anything goes and we just all accept each other in that Parliament of World Religions, not this last time, but the time before when they met in Toronto, I watched some of the things that they had put up on their website. They had worship services with every kind of religion you could possibly think of, including paganism, idolatry, Satanism, spiritism, all kinds of things, things you've never seen before. It was all just fine, and everybody just loved and honored each other's traditions and celebrated them, and I thought, wow, this is really different. I mean, even people who were atheists were included, if you can believe that, because it is a form of a belief system. It wasn't until the late 1800s that many groups began to look at different religious organizations. People have been ignorant of other beliefs until knowledge started increasing, you know, maybe 120, 130 years ago. Then they started looking into these other religions, these 4,300 religions, to see what they stood for. When they did, they decided, we can all be united because we have some common beliefs. Most religions have a common belief of helping mankind. So we can stand on that common belief. Whenever we have this ecumenicalism, that's what we're trying to do. In 1921, the International Missionary Council decided that they could make a difference. They, as an organization of Christian religions and other religions, could come together and build a new entity, a new religious movement, you might say. Even believers fell in that. In the United States, it was called the Faith and Order Movement in 1925. Then in 1948, we had the World Council of Churches. This is a coalition of 300 Christian denominations who've come to build that common bond. Well, there's a danger there. I was talking with someone the other day who said, I was looking into Islam and found out that we have an awful lot in common from our religious beliefs with Islam. And that's absolutely true. If we go back and look at the history of Islam, we learn that Muhammad was a student of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. So the Quran is filled with many items that are very similar to our Old Testament primarily, but also to the beliefs about Jesus, not about his divinity, not about his salvation, not about the gospel message. That's the foundation of what we believe but about many other things like the virgin birth and the fact that Jesus will return and that he's a holy man. 
So we do have a lot in common with other religions, but when we start coming together under the guise of ecumenicalism, we lose our identity. We lose our faith because we start compromising the Bible. The Muslims, for example, believe that the Bible has been corrupted, that it can't be trusted, that it isn't true. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. So when you have things like the tri-faith movement that we have in Nebraska, or what's being tried in different places around the globe, there's a concern because our primary foundation of Jesus Christ is different than most other religions. I had heard a sermon broadcast one time that talked about how these two religions, Christianity and Islam, were so much alike. In fact, some people have formed a, a kind of a conglomeration between the two that they call Chrislam because of some of these similarities that you listed. However, the differences are so different. They say Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, let alone part of a deity. He is not the one who died on the cross for our sins. Right there, that negates God's plan of salvation and the truth of the Word of God. So there are more things that are like opposite. They believe Jesus is going to come back again, but he's going to come back and tell everybody that he was wrong and you were wrong to believe in him. And then anybody who doesn't conform then to Islam would then be destroyed by Jesus. I mean, it's so different that you have to look a little farther. So when things sound like, oh, it's so lovely, it's so nice, it's like roses and we're all going to get along, don't be deceived. Like you said, Jesus said four times, don't be deceived. A friend once told me that Satan will agree with us nine times so that we'll agree with him the tenth. And that's what we see in a lot of this. We see true and similarities, and then all of a sudden there's falsehood. And we negate the falsehood thinking, oh, that's just a little bit. But if you put one rotten apple into a bunch of good apples, it's going to destroy them. And you consider that when we talk about unity, which is the idea of ecumenicalism, is bringing unity to Christian religions as well as all the 4,300 others, keep in mind unity is the antithesis of Jesus Christ. Because he said in Matthew 10, you're going to be hated by all because of my name. Why are we hated? Because people can't stand the gospel message if they are not true believers. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 10, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution is part of Christianity. Second Peter chapter two tells us that Jesus suffered as an example for us to follow. That means that we will suffer when we stand for the gospel. When you look at all of the disciples of Jesus Christ and his apostles, they were martyred except for John. They were martyred for their faith because people didn't agree with them. Matthew 10, 34, Jesus says, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The gospel message is divisive to those people who do not believe it. So ultimately, if we're going to have unity among religions, it's not going to be on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be the turning away or the tearing away of the truth of the gospel and compromising the truth of the gospel in order to have this unity. And yet the Bible tells us as we get into Revelation 13 that there is going to be a one world religion. So looking at Revelation 13, starting with verse 11, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performed great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. 
And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. There is so much in those verses that explains what's going to be happening in the near future. Remember, this is the middle of the tribulation period. The Antichrist has been identified. People are worshiping him. They're worshiping Satan blatantly because both Satan and the Antichrist are blaspheming God. They've been given authority over God's people for 42 months. That's the last three and a half months of the tribulation period. So you have the one world leader empowered by Satan. And of course, you have the one world government that we've talked about before that comes out of Daniel 2. So now you have, in coalition with that, a one world religious leader. It says, as you pointed out, another beast. So this is different than the first beast. The first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. And he's called that in Revelation 19. That tells us he's going to be a religious leader. That's what false prophet signifies. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Now we have the words like and as, so these are similes. He wasn't really part lamb and part lion, but he had horns like a lamb. When we look in the book of Revelation, which is what we want to look back to to understand what the lamb is, we see that the lamb is Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5 verse 6, it first introduces the lamb when it says, I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then it goes on to say that that lamb was the only one found worthy to open the seals of the scroll that God had in his hands. Later in chapter five, we see in verse 12 that they're worshiping the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That means the lamb has to be Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the lamb is mentioned 31 times in the book of Revelation, always referring to Jesus Christ, except right here. So this tells us that this false prophet is going to have the appearance of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean physical appearance, but his attitude, his actions, his words, his drawing people to himself so that he could point people to the Antichrist, which also tells me that he's going to lead the Christians that are left on the earth or those people who call themselves Christians, because if they didn't go in the rapture, they're undoubtedly not true believers of Jesus Christ but they are of a Christian denomination. So he's going to draw people and they're going to start following him. But it also describes him as being as a dragon. The dragon in chapter 12, verse nine tells us that's Satan. The dragon's mentioned 13 times in the book of Revelation, which shows his prominence. That's the fighting between good and evil, between Jesus Christ and Satan. That's where Satan is trying to destroy Jesus Christ and his followers and stop the second coming of Jesus Christ by destroying people and turning them away from Jesus Christ. If he can turn the Jews away from Jesus Christ during this tribulation period, then he will have won because Jesus will not be able to come back and establish a kingdom for his Jewish believers because there will be no Jewish believers. 
he's going to lay out every possible scenario to take control of all the religions and bring them into one and therefore either draw the Jews into this religion or kill them. Throughout the Bible, God's people are warned about false teachers over and over again. There are just so many verses. But when you were talking about the lamb being used as the title for Jesus, and we think of lamb purity and innocence and that kind of thing, it made me think of Matthew seven fifteen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then one other one, when you're talking about ministers representing the Antichrist, I thought of Second Corinthians eleven three through 15. For such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. So that's why we see here in verse 12 of Revelation 13 that this false prophet exercises all the authority of the first beast has received from Satan. So now the false prophet has this authority. And it goes on to say, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Uh, interesting that word, he makes the earth. The Greek word poio means he causes or he brings about or he produces something. So in this case, he's taking an action to make a change in the world. And that change is manipulation to bring people to worship the Antichrist and the devil. So once he causes all the people to do this, it says he uses signs to do it. Well, that shouldn't be a surprise because in chapter 11, verse 5, we saw the two witnesses of God who also use signs to draw people to God. So now we have the false prophet trying to use signs to draw people to Satan. We saw that in the Exodus when Moses and Aaron were able to perform signs and the magicians at that time were able also to perform signs. The difference is that there's certain signs that they cannot perform that only God can. But these signs are going to convince people because it tells us in verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth. That's that deception we talked about. And it's going to come about through the signs and the wonders. And then he makes an image of the beast who had a wound of the sword and has come to life. And he gives breath to the image and the image of the beast might speak and then again, cause, that same word for makes, as many as do not worship the beast, to be killed. As I thought about building an image that needs to be worshipped, what does that signify? It goes back to Daniel chapter 3, when Nebuchadnezzar built an image to himself, and he required all of his leaders, it doesn't say everybody in the kingdom, but all of his many leaders in the kingdom to fall down and worship him. And if they wouldn't, they would be killed. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not worship the king. And they were brought before the king. That's when they gave this amazing answer to the king. They said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So they were willing to stand against the king at that time. The consequence was they were thrown into the burning fire. But they came out pure and perfect without even the smell of smoke or any singeing on their garments. So much so that the king declared in Daniel 3.29, 
I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything of offense against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses reduced to rubble inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. That was the outcome of that, but that's not going to be the outcome here, not right now. We have at the beginning of the time when the Jews were taken into captivity, we have a statue that was built that they were supposed to worship and they didn't. And now we have at the beginning of the end of the tribulation, another statue of an image of satanic proportions that they're required to worship. But according to this passage, they won't worship him. It's so important to know the truth of God's word and to know God, to have that relationship with God, because as you say, there are going to be signs and wonders that are going to be performed. And this fantastic image of the beast, we're going to find out, can perform things you wouldn't expect an image to perform. And people are going to be so wowed by that, that they're going to be swayed by what they see. And we talked, I think, last week about being careful about signs, because we were warned that the devil would be able to do signs and wonders. Even though God performed signs and wonders, Jesus did, the apostles did, you have to have the truth of the word and you have to know who God really is so that you won't be fooled and you will know the genuine from the counterfeit. As we look at this one world religious leader, who could it be? It could be any of a number of people. It could be a leader of Islam. It could be a leader of Christianity. It could be a new religious leader that comes up on the scene that people are willing to follow. Because one thing we've learned, if someone is very charismatic and they say the right things, or we think they do, and they look the right way, we are willing to accept him. And especially when you have the Antichrist on the scene who leads us to follow this false prophet. I'm not going to speculate on who it is, but I'm going to tell us we need to be careful because if Jesus warns us, and he does four times that we could be misled in these last days, that means we can be misled, even the elect. So we have to know the truth because the truth is the only way we can understand the false. You know, it seems like the desire for global peace and unity and love and everybody getting along is the kind of thing that Satan has used to deceive us and to turn us little by little from what is truth to what sounds good. And so people have been led to compromise what's actual truth and sometimes hard truth for what is an easier path to just get along with everybody and and compromise. Well, that's right. And then we can decide what's right and what's wrong in our own desires. So society or culture decides what we should believe. Also, if we don't want to point fingers or if we don't want to have any division, then, you know, you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. The problem is that the Bible is very clear as to how we can have a relationship with God. A lot of times people are following away from this genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ because Satan has gradually taken Jesus out of our culture. And it's offensive to some people if we mention the name Jesus. And we don't want to offend, so we just don't mention the name of Jesus. And then we have this spirit of compromise of the truth. Well, you believe the Bible, but we believe a different book, or we believe the Quran, or we believe the Book of Mormon, or we believe these other religious teachings. So what's true and what's not true? How do you know? Doubt is brought into people's minds about what they believe. And doubt is such an insidious problem. Because once the doubt comes in, it just festers. Instead of looking for the truth, we allow the doubt to continue. Look at evolution. Evolution is one means why God's being taken out of creation. And if God didn't create us, 
then we evolve from animals. So therefore, if we're just animals, we can do what we want to do. And then there is no God that created us, so we have no concern about how we live or what the future is. So much falsehood is brought into this world through this deception. So what has that done? It's changed our whole culture. Over half the Christians in the United States believe in evolution and the gay lifestyle, both of which are contradicted in the word of God. But people aren't going to the word of God for their answers. They're believing the theory that comes out of science instead of the faith that it takes in the Bible. They're believing their own desires over what God says in his word. You have many denominations that are splitting over the fact that some believe in abortion and some don't believe it. 52% of Americans do not believe Jesus Christ is God. And yet you have at least 65% of Americans calling themselves Christians. The foundation of Christianity is that Jesus is God and he is man who died for our sins. And yet they don't really believe it, even though they call themselves Christians. Why? Because it's not being taught a lot. Or another problem is that churches don't believe that Jesus is God. And then, very sadly, 60% of Christians ages 18 to 39 believe Jesus is not the only way to salvation. The Bible is very clear. There is no way under heaven that man can be saved except through Jesus Christ, as found in the book of Acts. We're seeing a change in our culture. It wasn't too many decades ago when 85% of Americans were Christians. That is no longer the case. The largest, fastest-growing religion are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the people who do not have a religion because Satan has already started us down the slippery slope. And unless there's a miracle, unless there's revival, it's not going to change. It's going to go that direction. That's why we're susceptible to following a religious leader who will lead us in a different direction, a direction that looks good, a direction that we buy into, but the wrong direction from the truth of God. As we finish this discussion ask ourselves, do we follow the truth of God's word or are we looking for a spiritual experience of our own making? A lot of us will say, well, I'm very spiritual. But what does that mean? If we're not following the word of God, we're following a spirituality of our own making. Are our hearts to have a relationship with Jesus Christ or are we just following our religion so we can check off boxes and feel good about ourselves? One of Satan's greatest deceptions is making us think that we're all going to go to heaven so that we can live any way we want on this earth. We've got to be careful. Christianity is being compromised right now. We have spiritual experiences that are being promoted over the truth. Soon this respected religious leader is going to manipulate the world with signs and wonders, and we're going to fall right under his spell. And I don't mean us, but I mean people who have not been taken up in the rapture as believers in Jesus Christ, people who are susceptible to believing falsehood because they don't know the truth. So you may say this is never going to happen, but the Bible says it will. And it's going to be so convincing that even we can be misled. The only answer is to turn our hearts today totally and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ, making him Lord, master of our life, following him, asking for his help. If we don't understand enough about God to accept him, then just cry out to him and say, God, show yourself to me. I want to see you. I want to follow you. I want to be yours. I just don't know how to do it. So I need you to show me and he will. 
He tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Are you willing to confess Jesus Christ today and then learn the truth because the truth is Jesus Christ? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that truth in Jesus Christ will set you free. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.